0: Hi, this is Wilson Pastor of Renew Church OC, a church for imperfect people only. Thanks for joining our podcast. Over the pandemic, a lot of our lives have been reoriented. Whether it's our work, school, friendships or church, we've become comfortable with a new normal because of COVID. Many of us are asking what church is and how important is it really? Can I be a strong Christian without the church? Or can I go to church in PJs and off a screen for the rest of my life? I hope this series helps you move away from cultural norms and beliefs about church and brings us back into God's word and heart for the local church. Enjoy the sermon. All right, welcome back, everyone. Um, before we continue into the service, this is Holly's last week, so I just wanted to invite her up. Luke, you can come out with her as well. They're moving up to Seattle. Okay, Seattle, yeah. Tacoma. Tacoma. Tacoma, Seattle? Tacoma. Tacoma. Just Tacoma. And uh, we're going to miss her so much. She just got married, so really excited about them. Maurice got engaged to Hannah. Really exciting as well. Um, And uh, we just wanted to send her off. I mean, Holly has just done so much for our church. She's just been such a caretaker for a lot of the community, our kids, my family, so many of you as her friends. And uh, we're gonna miss her a lot. And um, yeah, we're we're really excited for the next adventure her and and Luke are going on. But did you wanna share a little bit? I know I didn't ask you that prior. That's how your eyes got bigger. Like, you know, how much you love Renew, something. Something like that.
1: I I love Renew.
0: Very good. Those lines were not coerced. Father, we're just so grateful for Holly and for Luke and for how you brought them together, the way that you're going to continue to use them, Lord. Um, we're so grateful for the ways that you have shaped and loved them here and and how they have shaped and loved this community as well. I know that you have a, a family you're calling them into um, up north, um, a family that they get to be a part of. We're, we're so grateful that your family is global. Wherever we go, we have brothers and sisters in you and And yet I know there's a local church up there that you want them to uh, be a body part for, to be a brother and sister to. And I just pray that it would be clear. We bless them, Lord, as they go, that you would be with Luke as he um, practices medicine, that he would heal many people, Lord. That you would be with Holly, Lord, in her profession, and that you continue to use her, Father. Thank you so much for them, their presence with us, their love for us, Lord. And, um, yeah, we'll miss them. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks. Thanks, Holly. Thanks, Luke. You're going to be at the bonfire. I'm very bonfire focused. I don't know if you've... All right. So the last time I believed in something magical, I love Disneyland. There's a uh, one of the slides is, I think it's Asteroid Orbiter. So I was probably in third grade. Um, there was a, It was a summer camp. And we walked through the main, main street. And on the right, before Tomorrowland, was this huge structure. I remember looking at it, seeing the little... Um, rocket ships rotating around this this structure and I thought they were actually flying. I thought they could detach from the arm and, and fly wherever they wanted. And I was super excited to get on the ride and to fly around Disneyland, getting a sky view of it, maybe visiting my mom, you know, and flying back. And I was worried because I didn't know how to land the thing. So that was my main concern as a third third grader. Like I could fly it, but if I landed poorly I would die. And so I was like hoping that they would give an orientation on landing, landing uh, aircrafts. I remember going to um, Space Mountain and getting on one of those, that ride. And as you go through that tunnel with the lights, I swore I was going into space. I was so excited. I think that's when Disney's the most magical, when you're a kid and you think you're in space. So we're going around uh, the roller coaster, you know, visiting different planets. And I was like, I hope we come back to Earth, but I'm having a lot of fun at the same time. I'm taking Liam now to Disneyland, and seeing him meet Mickey was amazing. You know, he was just in shock and awe meeting Mickey. We were really into all of the Mickey uh, cartoons, and so it was like meeting Jesus. He walked in, and he was just like, you're real, you know, like we're at your house. It was amazing. And, and actually, most recently, I went to uh, Edge of the Galaxy, the new uh, land, you know, Star Wars themed and then there was the Ride of the... Res- Rise of the Resistance, and I finally got a ticket. There's all these Facebook. There's all these hacks on getting into that ride I can tell you about later. And uh, Nina and Grace were having dinner at Downtown Disney, and my, my ticket finally got called. It was super late. We were about to go home. But I was like, Nina, I have to go on this ride. So she let me in. And so she was watching the kids. Grace has to entertain them too. I'm like running across Disneyland to get there. And I remember standing at the entrance of this new, this new park, and I said i 'm going to walk in pretending it's real i'm going to go back to Kid Wilson. Have you ever done that it's a little It's borderline psychotic, right? So I understand if you don't do things like that, but um, I walk in I'm like, i'm going into outer space and I 'm pretending it's a portal, and then I see all these other people dressed like me. I was getting upset because they were messing with my my imagination. but I was like, "No, no, this is like a tourist destination in space. They all went through the portal with me, and they were like. Seconds, maybe minutes, where I was able to believe I was in um, outer space, Star Wars, you know, fantasy land. It was, it was great. But you, Disneyland, as you grow older, it does kind of lose that magic, right? You know that Mickey is just a person stuck in a really hot suit. I remember reading this discouraging article about how they called the workers cast members because they want them to know that they're acting and on stage. It's like they're part of a performance. And so in their performance, they have to be happy and energetic and engaging. And when they're not happy, they kind of get a little talking to by their manager. Like, remember to smile, you're on stage. I was like really bothered by that because I thought they really enjoyed working there from their hearts, you know. And when they were smiling at me, I thought they really liked seeing my face. But I didn't know it was like a part of their work ethic. So that was discouraging as well. I think when you look at your lives and the things that have captured your imagination, whether it's Harry Potter or Santa Claus or Disneyland, I think there's, you grow up a little bit and then you think about how at Disneyland, there's no real magic, next slide. So we settle for artistic illusions or an excellent performance stunning technology to gift us with immersed experience and at the very best the very best we can do is pretend it's real right so so in those places we want magic to be true but we know it's not so we just settle for our imagination but the irony is that in our faith and at church there is real magic there is something behind the curtain. There is a God who loves us and is powerful and wants to work in a real tangible way, but sometimes we can ignore it and spend all our efforts on the performance, the buildings, the stage not us cuz we're in a gi- in a hot gym with a okay stage. Um, or on a human-centric church. Isn't isn't that ironic? Isn't it ironic that when we go to Harry Potter land or when we go to Disneyland we long for magic? even though it's not there. But when we go to church where there is something real, that the Holy Spirit does want to work, there is real magic in how we read Scripture and pray and interact with each other. There's something supernatural. There's something that is beyond human ability. There's a, a, there's a Holy Spirit experience that he wants us to have that in those moments, we just kind of settle. We just settle for good music and a sermon that makes us laugh and friendship, and we could walk away from church with those things and kind of just be okay. You know, when I look at Paul in First um, Corinthians chapter two, one through six, he doesn't settle for those things. It says, "And so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you." I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except for Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness, with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching was not with wise and persuasive words, but with the demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom but on God's power. Again and again, Paul, kind of like John, says, you know, I want to be lesser so Christ could be greater. He lessens all of these different parts of who he is. If you want to pull out your Bibles, it's hard to read from the screen. He lessens his eloquence and, and wisdom. He lessens his confidence, and he says that he's weak and approaches with great fear and troubling, and then he uplifts, he elevates Proclaiming the testimony in contrast. He elevates knowing that he lessens knowing nothing, his own knowledge, and he elevates knowing Christ and Him crucified. He lessens his own confidence and says he's weak and fearful and trembling. He says that his preaching isn't wise and persuasive, and he elevates the Spirit's power and God's power. You know, when I think about what Paul is doing, it's in conjunction it's it's holding hands with the end of of chapter one where we remember that we walk into the kingdom in weakness no one steps into the god's kingdom in strength and confidence thinking thinking they figured it out that they're smart enough to make it we all walk in like the prostitute and the tax collector like the thief saying that we cannot approach god without christ we need him We're weak. And then we remember that the kingdom of God comes to us not in power but in weakness as well. Jesus doesn't come sitting on a throne with the iron scepter. He doesn't come with an invading army of angels. He comes to us, the gospel comes to us on a cross with Jesus gasping his last breath, with the Lord himself staring down death. And then Paul says that he comes to Corinth in the same way, in weakness. Because it's in our weakness that God strengthens us and uses us. He does not use pride. He does not use self-reliance. He does not use someone who's full of themselves because they're talented or gifted. He uses the weak. But I think there's two ways to be weak in the next slide. Two ways in which we are weak in order to rely on the Spirit for power. First, we're weak in our weakness, right? We're always turning to God in our weakness. I have terrible knees. Most of my prayers revolve around my being able to walk well, not having my knees swell, being able to play volleyball, right? If you think about your weakness, you're often asking God to help you in that. Paul, we think through Scripture, had weak eyes, that he was maybe close to blindness. In Galatians chapter 4, he says that this church loves him so much that they would gouge out their own eyes so that he can see. And then, in another part of Galatians, chapter 6, I believe, you know, he always has scribes writing his letters. Again, because he has bad eyesight. But then in this one part, he says, I am pinning this with my own hand. That's how important this is, and, and, you, and you'll notice that the letters are so large, it's in like a hundred font, because I can't see, I'm wasting like papaya paper, but I need to write this with my own hand. And again and again, Paul turns to God in his weakness. In 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9, it says, therefore, in order to keep me from being conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. Now there's other theories on what the thorn in the flesh is. He doesn't define it in this passage, but a lot of theologians think it's his eyesight. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness, so that Christ's power may rest in me. When we think about wrestling with mental illness, our addictions, when we think about the losses of our life, we could gain comfort in that, like Paul, his power is made perfect in our weakness, that we can turn to him and see him glorified even through the worst parts of us, the weakest parts of us, But I think everyone turns to God in weakness. The Christian and the non-Christian. Have you seen uh, in high school your non-Christians pray to the Lord? Like I was known to be a Christian in high school. And as everyone was getting into trying to get into college, people would come to me, Wilson, pray for me. I'm trying to get to Yale. Wilson, pray for me. I'm trying to get to Berkeley. Wilson, pray for me. I don't want to fail the SATs, right? I was like the campus pastor, especially during finals. Everyone comes to God in weakness. But the mature Christian comes to God in their strengths. When we're doing well financially, when, we're family, when our family is healthy, when our, bodies, when our bodies are strong, when our careers are succeeding, the immature Christian turns their eyes and attention away from God. But a mature Christian continues to see weakness and strength. And that's what we see in the next two passages. See, Paul, he says he's not an eloquent speaker. That he's not persuasive. But then in Acts chapter 17, when this like, ph- philosophical council, maybe of the world, is inviting Paul to speak to them. He gives them this speech. And it's beautiful. It's eloquent. He says, from one man he made all nations. That they should inhabit the whole earth. He marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their land. God did this so that they would seek him. And perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far away from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Just reading that, I got chills. (laughs) Like, Paul is a persuasive speaker, and he says he's weak. He comes in fear and trembling. But look at Philippians chapter 3, verse 4 to 6. If anyone thinks they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, one of the greatest tribe, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law a Pharisee, the greatest of the religious sect. As for zeal, persecuting the church. As for righteousness based on the law, flawless. But whatever were to my gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of finding Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. Have we seen our weaknesses? I mean, our strengths, the things that people look up to us um on the things that we get accolades about the way that we introduce ourselves do we see them as weakness because if we do that's when the lord comes through that's when god's power is made known that's when he uses us beyond what we can do on our own beyond what we can accomplish that's when his power um come happens in this last passage that I want to focus on, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, 2, verse 4, my message and my preaching was not with persuasive or wise words. Although, again, that's his strength. But that's not what he leaned on. That's not what he cared about. That's not what he believed would change someone's hearts and realign their lives and reveal the gospel. It wasn't about his preaching. No, it was about the demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom but on God's power. Paul is saying that even if I could apologetics you to death, right, convince you that God's real through creation or through uh, cosmetology or through biology, Paul is saying that that's not what really builds someone's faith if you can, can be, if you can convi- be convinced sorry if you can be convinced into believing god you can be convinced and reasoned out of believing god what we really want is to encounter god is to have his spirit work inside of us is to have markers in our life where we know god is real that he's met us that we've encountered him, and Paul is saying, My wisdom, my, my speech, my eloquence doesn't get you an encounter with God. And that's what I really want. And when I think about renewed, that's how I hope we define what it means to be empowered by the Spirit. In the next slide, I, I hope that we're asking, where is the magic? in the way that we do church, in the way that we come together in the word, in worship and in prayer. We're, we would ask, God, where are you? You know, is, when we preach at church, is it just persuasive words? Is, it, is, is our church centered on a good or bad sermon? On how eloquent the speaker is? Is that it? Or are we saying, God, will we partner with you so that your word is cutting our soul, is convicting us? Will we ask that your word comes alive in us so that the rest of our life, you would allow this word to become true, that you would carve out a curriculum for us to live out what we know in our hearts? That when we come together in small groups and we open up God's word, are we just trying to understand what it's saying? Or Are we saying, Holy Spirit, would you bring your word into my soul? Convict me. Let me hear your voice through your word. I remember when I was uh, prepping a sermon, I was doing a word study. Uh, This was on... This is the this is renewed ser- series for imperfect people only. We're going through the Good Samaritan, and it said that this Samaritan saw the beaten up Jew and had compassion on him. And I started remembering, oh, there's other places in Scripture where Jesus saw people and had compassion. So I just pulled it up um, on my on Google or Bible Concordance, whatever I had, and then again and again it just said that Jesus saw the crowd and had compassion. He saw that prostitute and he had compassion. He saw the people, they were sheep without shepherd, and he had compassion. And then again and again, I read these passages and I just started weeping because there was a moment where Jesus was looking at me, where this word was brought alive, and I saw the eyes of Christ looking at me with compassion. It wasn't just a word study. It was an encounter with the power of the Spirit. And from, from then on, I just see his tender... You know, sometimes we hide from Jesus because we think when he looks at us that he looks with anger or disappointment, with apathy. But this, the word of the Lord is saying, no, when he looks at you, he looks with compassion. I think about the way we want to worship? that Are we just settling for a great sound system, musicians, a sing-along? Or are we asking to worship God in spirit and in truth? Are we asking for a moment where our spirit is encountering God's spirit? And we are in his courtroom and before him. Have we carved out a space of worship where you're joining the angels? You're joining the saints and singing before God. And when we worship, that's what we're gunning for. We're saying, God, I want to encounter you. When we pray, is it, man, our family does a terrible job of praying for food. I'll just tell you straight up. My baby's like just just hangry, so hangry. He's just clawing at food. If you've seen my, our Insta stories, he'll just like put the whole bowl to his face and pour food down his face. My son's going nuts. Me and Nina, we made a good food, good food. We're drooling. So every meal is like, God, thank you for the food. Amen. And then we're just eating, right? But I think sometimes that's our prayer all the time. You know, we can go weeks and weeks with just kind of saying, how's the weather with God? Giving our wish list to God. Having a superficial conversation with God and the significant conversations, the ones that go deep, oh, that's with our therapist, with our best friend, with our mentor. God wants you to pour out your heart to him like you're talking to your therapist because he's the one who has power, way more power than him or her. I love therapy, by the way. I went for four and a half years. It was great. But conversations with God, better. Better. Far better. And are we having those conversations with him? Are we stopping to listen to his voice before we pray? Are we taking a moment just to say, I'm about to encounter and have conversation with the greatest being of the universe. Can I just stop and listen and quiet my soul before him as I approach his throne room i had um taylor over for dinner as well as of course jerome and uh, Derek, because they're getting baptized so sharing baptism about baptism with them they missed our little corner conversation last sunday and then um you know i'm just praying for each one and i just stop and i'm like okay lord what do you have to say to this person sometimes nothing comes up right but but just this make space for god to speak isn't that important wouldn't that make your prayer so much more powerful, magical, if you will, versus just saying whatever's on top of your head? And so um, I asked Taylor if I could share the story. So I, I, so it's Taylor's turn, and I sit, and I remember her just sharing how she wanted to get baptized, and, and she started owning her faith, faith more and more because she's doing devotionals every day. Every day she's opening up the Bible and just reading God's Word and feeling drawn towards Him. Um... So I'm just pausing to pray for her. And I get this picture of Taylor opening up God's Word in the mornings and saying, like, and God, Jesus just valuing that time. Like he's, you know, like Liam climbs into our bed in the morning and that's my favorite time of the day. I get a snuggle with him. Like I value it. Like Jesus values his time with Taylor. And then, and I'm just praying that over her. And then I get another picture of her as a young adult in her apartment opening the word and just spending time with the Lord and that anchoring her and her loving, hearing his voice. And then she's a mom with kids running around, and she opens the word, just like she's she's doing in junior high, high school. She's opening a word as a mother and just allowing the Lord to meet her and speak to her. And then my last image of her is her... um, at the end of her life. We all pass. But she's opening the word. Meeting her savior in that moment. And, may, and the same savior she'll meet. At the door of death. But he opens the door for her. We, that's not a prayer I just like would. Hey Taylor. Um, here's a baptism prayer. But it's it's when we expect the spirit to move in our prayer i hope that you don't go through your christian and church life without the magic of the spirit without the power of the spirit i hope that you're, i hope that we don't go through church and everything we see here it's like oh it could just be replicated at a concert that every part of your life could be replicated by a a person with high ethics a kind person. I hope that what we do here, how we do our work life and our family life, that the spirit of God is there. And that would define the way we, we live our lives. I asked Dr. Ken to come up. Um, someone that has mentored me for a long time. I'm so grateful for him and Chrissy being mothers and fathers of our church alongside of others of you. And I wanted to have him share out of his work life some of the things we had talked about. Thanks, Dr. Ken. Thank you, Wilson.
1: Hey, church. Great to see everybody. Um, So, as you know, many of you know, I work at UCI Medical Center. Uh, I direct our Digestive Health Institute. Um, And so, the way I see the Holy Spirit at work, it's really the magic of our everyday Um, To me, I believe that the primary um, purpose of my work and your work is simply to bring heaven to earth. Uh, That God's kingdom, God's rule, God's reign, uh, by virtue of the fact that we step into the workplace, uh, the kingdom of God then enters into the kingdom of this earth. And that integration is what the Holy Spirit is all about, what the Holy Spirit does uh, superbly. Um, If you think about the things of heaven, the things of God, that we would want to bring into the workplace, wouldn't you want to bring peace? Wouldn't you want to bring healing, restoration, reconciliation, uh, purpose, uh, value? All of those things we bring into the workplace by bringing God's kingdom in. And so the Holy Spirit, we know the, the Holy Spirit is the spirit of wisdom and revelation. So if you look at passages like in Ephesians 1 and Ephesians 3, wisdom and revelation is what the Holy Spirit does. And first and foremost, that's applied to God's heart. The, the, the Spirit knows God's heart. We see this further in, in this passage in 1 Corinthians. The Spirit knows God's heart and reveals God's heart to us. That's, that in itself is amazing. And the Spirit knows our hearts and the hearts of others. And the Spirit wants to reveal our hearts as well. So reveals God's heart, reveals our heart, and on an as-needed basis, reveals to us other people's hearts. And that's that's the triangular heart thing that I try to apply each day at work when I see patients. Uh, So kind of the way it would work is I'm going, to, I'm going to pick on Danny. He's sitting here in front of me. So let's say Danny comes in as a patient to our digestive health center. Let's say Danny's chief complaint is severe abdominal pain coming out of the blue, intermittently, waking up at night, doubling him over, and no explanation. He's been to three other GI doctors. They've scoped him up and down. No, no, no answer. So this is my, my every day, okay? So again, looking at that triangular... Holy Spirit, show me God's heart for Danny, how much you love him. Holy Spirit, show me my heart right now. Where am I? What's my motivation for caring for Danny? Is it, is it, about, the, is it about the pride? Is it about my professionalism? No. God, show me my heart that I genuinely want to help Danny. And then finally, Holy Spirit, show me Danny. Like, what, what is it about Danny that you want to show me today in this healing interaction uh, in this secular university medical center? So sometimes it's like Holy Spirit gives me x-ray vision. I'll casually scan Danny's body when he's talking, uh, and the Holy Spirit will show me his pancreas, his liver, his stomach, his esophagus, and it'll sometimes light up for me like, oh, pancreas. So it kind of helps me hone in. Maybe it's a pancreas problem. Uh, other times, the Holy Spirit will say, you know what? Ask Danny about his mom or his aunt, or, and there may be something there. So I'll, I'll ask more questions about their family history and so on. And not Danny, but some other patient may say, yeah, my mom died of stomach cancer a year ago today. You know, it's like, okay. You know, so that that connection, could this be a convergent reaction? So it, the Holy Spirit will, uh, again, on an as-needed basis, uh, provide those things that, that, to help me, to help Danny. And then occasionally, the Holy Spirit will say, you know what, I want you to pray for him. And that's not easy in a secular university setting, uh, but with permission and prompting, there have been times when I've just say, hey, would you mind if I pray for you, and if the Spirit prompts that, it's usually the patient will say, yeah, please do, and, and we'll pray, and sometimes it, it could be miraculous. So these are the ways in which the Holy Spirit helps uh, me in my day-to-day when I take care of patients. Uh, the other part of my uh, work is research. So I, I feel it's fair game and magical <laughs> to ask the Holy Spirit for solutions about diseases. So what's the worst, most deadly pancreas uh, cancer on the face of the earth? It's pancreatic cancer. So I'll ask the Holy Spirit, can you give me some insight on in how we can make a dent in treating this lethal disease? And I believe it's God would honor that. I don't think God says, well, that's work. I'll answer your ch- church-related prayers. I'm not going to answer your prayers about that. I can't imagine that God wouldn't care about my work if my heart's in the right place. So, God will give me some insights on the mechanism of these cancers and a different approach, maybe using kamikaze viruses or whatever. Uh, There are other times when I go into my spiritual design draw room uh, because God created us, the human body, and when something's not working, let's say bad acid reflux, I ask God, show me like You created us. What is it about acid reflux? How are you protecting us now? And what is it that's broken down? And how can we fix that? And God will often give me insight, revelation, spirit of wisdom and revelation. Show me how it works, how it should work, and how we can move towards making it work again. So, again, I feel like it's fair game to apply that. Now, it's unfair to other doctors, maybe. They don't have the magic, but I think it's fair uh, because that, that is, that is the, the Holy Spirit's job to give us th- those insights and wisdoms, all motivated out of love. The other part of my work is administration and meetings. Many of you sitting in meetings, I sometimes dread meetings. I'd rather t- do a procedure than, than go to a meeting Especially, you know, confrontational meetings and one-on-one meetings. Uh, so in those meetings, I also ask the Holy Spirit to show me his heart and love for that person. Maybe it's a confrontational or not-so-pleasant meeting. Show me my heart. Like, w- what, make sure that I'm not, uh, I don't have my own agenda here. And mo- most importantly, show me that person's heart. What, what's their motivation? What's their fear? What's their anger about, and try to get behind uh, what's behind the behind, and sometimes the Spirit will show me something that I wouldn't have thought about, and, uh, and that'll completely change my uh, tone and the way I approach that person in the meeting. Other times, it'll be a, a larger meeting, like I'll be teaching a group of physicians, and I'll ask the Holy Spirit, show me what it is that the, the need of the group Uh, what are the knowledge gaps, Uh, what are the things that I should speak about that will uh, allow them to gain knowledge and also then be able to apply it to their patients and their practice. So these are just some of the ways that the Holy Spirit uh, works for me at work. Uh, Not that I do it perfectly or or even well, uh, but it is an everyday uh, conscious as well as subconscious application of the Holy Spirit in my work life.
0: Thanks. Thank you, Dr. Ken. You know, as I look at um, different commentaries, the spirit and power are just integrally, they're always tied together, right? In the Old Testament, the spirit comes on people to empower them. The biggest acts of history, he's, he's a part of the creation. He's blowing the east wind to part the sea. And that same spirit, he's living in us. You don't think he wants to do stuff? And so I really, this is going to be an ongoing conversation. It's one of our core values. And so I hope that it will, it, some of these things we shared, it might just kind of go over your head or um, you don't get it yet. That's okay. At the end of the day, we hope that you would fall in love with Jesus, that you would love being with the Spirit, that you would make space to listen to him. And everything else just comes out of that. I'm going to put up a few questions for us. Um, when, when have you experienced magic or the power of the Holy Spirit in your life? I only use magic this one day just to have us rethink a little bit, not get too familiar with the power of the Spirit. I'm not going new age on us, and I've defined it for you. Where do you want to experience the power of the Holy Spirit this week? So how has your, the, the, Spirit, the power of the Spirit marked your Christian life in the past? How do you want to experience the power of the Spirit this week? then I would love for you to just listen and pray for each other to experience the Spirit in the way that you shared, all right? But could we just stop before we pray and just practice this rhythm of listening first before we pray for ourselves or for one another? And then serve each other communion, expecting the power of the Spirit to minister to you during this time. And lastly, um, as you serve each other communion, uh, would one person uh, facilitate saying, this is his body broken for you. This is his blood poured out for you. You know, I spent a lot of time writing this sermon, but I spent a lot of time praying for this moment as well. Because this is what I'm hoping for. This is what, this is, we, we stop in our services for, for magic, for the spirit to work in, mom, in the moments that we pray for each other. So would you do this? Um, we'll give you guys seven, eight minutes, and then we'll close off our service with worship.